Thank you, brothers that went before me. Thank you, Matthew, for presenting Psalm 29 to us. David loved thunder and lightning, obviously, and the Lord inspired him and preserved those words for us to love those things as well. I know that some of you have had recent experiences with them because you've told me about them and how a good roll of thunder, of lightning striking nearby, can shake everything around you and shake your insides. And it's a good thing and reminds us of the Lord whispering to us because when he sends the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll be a little louder than that. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound and the time shall be no more and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and many great things will happen from a tremendous display of God's power. David loved that power. He wanted to go into the sanctuary and see the power of God revealed again through the preaching of his word. He loved to praise it publicly, and that's why we give the opportunity for young men to get in our pulpits and use the inspired words of the greatest praise and worship leader in the history of the world, David, to lift us up on Sunday mornings. And it's a privilege And all you young men that don't take advantage of it, you're wasting a privilege in the house of God. You're proving that you're nothing like David. And you are hurting yourself on many different levels by not getting up here to do that because there are benefits to be derived from doing so on many different levels. But not everyone's going to be like David. However, everyone in here can be like David. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a girl. You can be like David. Over the years, I've written many girls and tried to encourage them in our youth group to be young women like David. Because you can be. It was his heart, his love of God. Everything was for the glory of God at all times. And a woman can do that as much as a man. It's just a little different. I've mentioned already that when we go into the divine library, God's chosen what we're supposed to read and preach. I'm supposed to preach the word. And so when we go into the divine library... That is the divine library of God's 66 books. And we look for biographies. We see a shelf called biographies. And like I said, if it's three feet wide, then two and a half feet of it is David. You know far more about David than any other man, really, than all other men combined. 150 Psalms reveal his heart, his emotions, his fear, his worry, his anger, his desires, his discouragement, his encouragement, how he praised, how he prayed, how he thanked God. All those things are revealed. You don't have that from anyone else. You have one song of Moses and 150 of David. You say, but some of them were written by Asaph. Asaph didn't write anything that David didn't tell him to write. David hired Asaph, and Asaph's role in Israel was all because of David. So don't get too excited about Asaph. Asaph has his place, but he was just a worker for David. God made a choice. Our goals, my goal for you, is to catch a vision of being like the man God loved and told us so much about. Why is he in the Bible? But to encourage us that way and to let us know the lineage that Jesus our Lord came from. I can tell you that I want you to be like David, every man, woman, and child here. I have sought to have the content balance of the Bible, which emphasizes David. Why I live, breathe, labor, and pray is for you to be God's favorite. I want you to be like David. God's providence brought us this subject while I was studying something totally different. 
I despise and grieve over fruitless, passionless, mediocre Christians. So he helped me. Because I needed help in the middle of the week and he helped me. He gave me David again. To remind you of David again. There is only value here, as is any preaching, if you repent and change to conform your life to David's life. There are New Testament matching scriptures for every point I'll make, but it would overwhelm our study, so you're not getting them because I don't want to be distracting to you. I'm not going to talk about David's wars and David's enemies and David's weapons of wars and David's sling and all that kind of juvenile stuff. I want to talk about his character traits and the things he did and how he pleased God and God delighted in him. There's matching points in the life of Jesus for every point, but that's not my goal either. You should be able to pick up on some of those rather easily. Each point that I make should be answered with, am I like that? Am I like that? How can I be more like that? That is what the son of David Solomon wrote over and over and over in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is to describe and define wisdom as the ability and the choice to humble yourself and listen to instruction and correction and change your life because of it. So whatever I say about David, it shouldn't be just delighting in a man 3,000 years ago. It should be, am I like that? How can I be more like that? And rather than repeat it every five minutes or three minutes, depending on how long I take on each point, do you want to do some simple math with me? If I take three minutes on 61 points and see I'm already losing time by introducing this subject to you, then we've got 183 minutes. If we divide it by 45-minute sermons, do you know how long? I wanted this to be one Sunday, but there's a lot in the Bible. Once you get started, you can't stop, and I'm not stopped yet. I want to go home immediately and keep working because 61 is not enough. That's a problem. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. It's It's inexhaustible. This study is intentionally superficial to cover many varied points in a short time. All young men especially should aspire and desire to be like this prince before God and before all men. But so should young women. You can have the heart of David by having everything in your life pointed toward one cause, the glory of God. One program, one purpose. Is there not a cause? A woman can say that. A young girl can say that. Is not a cause why I do things? It's for the glory of God. And I want you all to think that way because I want God to delight in you like he delighted in David. Psalm 18 tells us that God delighted in me. First Chronicles tells us God liked me. God liked me above my seven brothers because God did like him above his seven brothers because God doesn't care about the outside, though David had the outside too. God cares about the heart. God cares about the person that loves him and delights in him and walks with him. You can do this. All men are not equal. I've already said these things this morning, but I'm repeating them. This effeminate generation that we live in where we send our kids to play t-ball and they give a trophy to everybody at the end of the season, unbelievable, destructive of character. That is wicked. That is cruelty to those poor children to think that they get a trophy for showing up and sitting on the bench. There are no trophies for showing up and sitting on the bench. And do you know that I'm looking at 150 to 200 people sitting on the bench? So what are you going to do about that? Listen, in your hearts, you need to be wanting to take your five talents and turn it into ten for the Lord. 
There's no trophy for sitting on a pew. The Lord doesn't care about your attendance. David didn't attend anything. David jumped up in front so that he could praise before much people. I want to praise you before the great congregation. Do you know where those words come from? They come from the book of Psalms. They come from David. He's the one that wanted to dance with all his might, though he was a king. And though from a wife that had been raised the daughter of a king who understood proper royal decorum in public, she was offended by him doing that. He wasn't offended at all by doing that. He had total humility before God. He didn't care what people thought about him. He cared what God thought about him. And he wanted to show those people how to worship God. So he danced with all his might. And when he was finished dancing and had put that Ark of the Covenant in a new place, which Saul had let sit in a man's house for 40 years because he was so profane and lazy, David made all the difference. Then David bought dinner for everybody. A good piece of flesh, a loaf of bread, and a flagon of wine. Esther, do we have wine to serve at break in a few minutes? It's okay. We'll try it next time. David. All men are not equal. David's brothers disappear off the landscape, out of sight. They disappeared in God's eyes. Eliab stood before Samuel. Samuel said, this has got to be him. Look at this stud. The oldest son of Jesse. Listen, Jesse's family from Ruth and Boaz had a gene package that was exceptional. Because even David's nephews were exceptional men. David's son, Solomon, was exceptional. Eliab was said to be exceptional by Samuel, who knew all the men of Israel. But the Lord said, forget his outward appearance. I'm looking at something totally different. No, he's not the one. Go to the next one. No, he's not the one. Go to the next one. No, he's not the one. They all flunked. You flunk or you're a victor. There's only one first place. This is not Jonathan Crosby's philosophy. This is Jesus Christ's philosophy. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There's only one winner. And we should run our race like that. The Bible tells us, so run. So run. What does it mean, so run? Run because there's only one winner. I want you to be like David. I want you to whip me. Make me Eliab. I'm not going to go down without a struggle. It's going to be hard to pin me. I want each of you to be like David. I could stop and talk to each one of you. Oh, he exceeded his brothers. He exceeded Saul. Oh, to hear those words. They're horrible. First Samuel 15, 28. The Lord hath rent the kingdom from thee and given it to a man better than thee. You say, that's just not nice. That's the God of heaven and I love him just the way he is. Saul deserved worse and got worse. Saul had his head cut off and was nailed up on a wall of Philistines. And do you know, can you imagine how they desecrated that body? They desecrated that body so bad that his body was burned by the Israelites when they got it back in their possession. Can you imagine? I won't let you. Don't think about it. David was better than Joab, his nephew. David was better than Solomon, his son. If you read 1 Kings 11 recently, then you had the word David pop up about 10 times in 1 Samuel, 1 Kings 11, which is about Solomon. How can you be reading about Solomon and have David's name pop up about 10 times? Because everyone was measured by David. There's a special place for David in the Bible. He's the man after God's own heart. Old Testament, New Testament says the same thing. God delighted in David. Do you know those words? 
Psalm 18, 19, he delighted in me. And David delighted in God. When these two walk together in the world, David in the world and the Lord in heaven, God's delighting in David and David's delighting in God. They loved each other exceptionally. 2 Samuel chapter 7 contains David's desire to build God a temple instead of having him in a tent. No one ever thought of that. You know, that immediately introduces us to David that he always went above and beyond the call of duty. Duty stinks. Duties, if duty is for soldiers that are never going anywhere. David was far better than that. David was the father of the leader and commander of his people, the Lord Jesus Christ. David immediately, as soon as he had time on his hands, and you people that have time on your hands, as soon as David had time on his hands in his old age, he wanted to do something for the Lord. And that was to build him a temple. But God didn't want him to build him the temple. He wanted his son to do it, Solomon to do it. And God built David a temple or built him a house instead. And so the two of them have this dialogue, and you've heard me talk about it before, but if you want to read a chapter in the Bible where God and a man are talking back and forth, it's precious. It's in the Bible twice, but 2 Samuel 7 is the first one you come to where God and David reason back and forth about building each other a house. And David, in the last half of that chapter is, Oh Lord, no, God has never talked to a man like this before, the way that you're talking to me, and, and you've done things for me in my life, but you're talking about blessing me now forever. Uh, Lord, that's just incredible. Please do it. I'll take it. It's just fabulous. It's 2 Samuel 7. There's no reason why you can't talk to the Lord like that. But have you ever thought about doing something beyond your bare minimum? Beyond duty? Have you ever thought of stepping out and showing some initiative to rip your clothes off, part of them, and dance with all your might? To, write a, to, to do something different, to do something special. That's what David would do. He wasn't content with what everyone else was doing, and that's what all exceptional men do. They want to do something different than what other men are doing. God made him great in the earth with a reputation like the great men. God told him that in 2 Samuel 7. He was God's favorite, and all kings were measured by him. Look at 1 Kings chapter 15 for one of my favorite comparative statements about David. 1 Kings chapter 15, all kings that came after David had to be compared to David, including Solomon, who was no match for David. David may have sinned with a woman, and he certainly did. And he spent nine months or so trying to cover up that sin. And he killed her husband, and it was aggravated adultery and aggravated murder, and it involved collateral murder as well, which we'll get to when we list the sins of David. But uh, no woman ever turned the heart of David away from God. Are you kidding me? As soon as, Nathan, as soon as Nathan appeared to David and told him that he had sinned, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Immediate change. There's nothing like that in Solomon. The R factor is huge. 1 Kings 15. Let me start at verse 1. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. So the successor of David here is Abijam. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he, this is Abijam, walked in all the ways sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Do you want to have a perfect heart with God? You say, well, I've already sinned. That doesn't have anything to do with having a perfect heart before God. David sinned. 
And David's sins are exposed to us in the Bible. You confess them. He forgives them. He washes them away. But, when, but it's real confession. It's real repentance. It's real reformation of life. It's not just words. Perfect. David had a perfect heart. You don't like it? You don't like it that someone could sin like David and have a perfect heart? Then you don't like the God of the Bible. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, verse 3, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. When God looked closely at the life of David, he blew out all the sins that were on a more marginal basis than this particular one that's listed as aggravated adultery and murder and just overlooked them like he does everybody else in the Bible. For instance, Zacharias and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1 were told were blameless in the law of God. And we know that they sin just like everyone else, but the Lord overlooks things. Right. We have the faith of Abraham lifted up to us in the New Testament, though Abraham laughed at God's statement and promise and prophecy that he would have a son by Sarah. And so here we have three wonderful verses. I want you should be able to understand number three, that Abijam did not conduct himself with a perfect heart like David did. Verse number four is, Abijam was able to put his son on the throne and not have his line cut off because of David. There are, genera there are generational benefits by having a righteous man in the family, and they can be traced right down through generations. And because of David, there was a lamp, light, progeny, descendants, preserved by God and put on the throne of Israel generation after generation after generation, 42 generations, according to Matthew chapter 1, to get down to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse number 4. That's all because of David. Verse 5, why was David's value so great to God that it could help a pitiful loser like Abijam? Why? Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, saving the matters of his aggravated adultery and murder, which lasted for about nine months before God confronted him by the prophet Nathan, and he repented. And you can read in Psalm 51 a prayer of repentance and confession that we all know that if we're looking for the deepest, most sorrowful, meaningful confession that we can make to God, we go to Psalm 51 and read it to the Lord. Because that's what David did. No man has a guaranteed eternal legacy by name and office like David through Christ. It's the throne of David that Jesus sits on in heaven. According to the Bible, there are more details of David's life from youth to death than any other man by far. More events, thoughts, prayers, and praise. We can learn how to praise God. We can learn how to pray by reading the prayers, reading the praise, how to give thanks by reading the thanks that David gave to the Lord. We know more about his character, conduct, and conscience than any other five men. Biographies motivate men, but this extensive biography is inspired. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The world talks about a Renaissance man, a complete perfect man, but David trumps by any measure. David combined the greatest virtues, the most manly deeds, and spiritual zeal for God and men. God and Israel loved David. He had the name and loving favor we all should seek. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than much silver. 
Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, David obtained all that. If you read 1 Samuel 16 last night in preparation, you read that when the young David stood before King Saul, King Saul immediately loved him. King Saul loved him. King Saul didn't love anyone except himself, but he loved David. Shortly, Jonathan's going to love him. Then the whole nation's going to love him. Then they're all going to talk about him at supper. Then all the women are going to sing songs about him. Because he behaved himself wisely at all times and he went in and out among the people. He didn't exalt himself as someone special, though he was anointed by Samuel to be the replacement king for Saul. He did never show any of that because he was a very humble man. David had heinous sins in his life, yet he was still God's favorite. And that's hope for you as a sinner and me as a sinner. What do you really know about the heart of any other man in the Bible in comparison? The heart of the man in comparison to David. There is far more Bible content used for David than how many men? Maybe all of them. Thank you, Lord. Now, you know, I've had to deal with self-righteous people in my life and ministry. And so here, here, here come the self-righteous ones. Here's, what they, here's how they talk. Well, I'm of Christ. Really? Are you really of Christ? You impeccable, self-righteous person. Do you know what Paul had to say about such people? He said they were a bunch of carnal babies that didn't know anything. Right. Because the Apostle Paul said that at the church at Corinth, which was the weakest church in the New Testament, there were some that said, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos, I am of Christ. You're all babes because you don't know how to think. Right. You can't live like Jesus Christ. You don't have an impeccable divine spirit in you called the Word of God. You are a sinner. And so you're supposed to follow Christ as Paul followed him. You're supposed to follow Paul. And Paul said, you're supposed to follow me in Philippians chapter 3 and other men that live like me. The Bible says, mark the perfect man and follow him because the end of that man is peace. But I've heard it all. Jesus is the son of David by both parents and known as such without any shame. When he closes out the Bible, Jesus is still talking about his father, David. I, Jesus who have testified this to you by my angel and the root and offspring of David. The Lord Jesus talks that way. David's in the hall of faith of Hebrews chapter 11, which makes him one of the witnesses around us. I preached this back in 2004, which was 13 years ago, in a different, and it was dissimilar in certain ways from what I'm about to give you. That was uh, 13 years ago, and I had about 15 to 18 points about David, and we've got a few more this time. The question we got to ask, how can I change this aspect of my life when I name one to be more like David for the delight of God and the delight of men? How can I change? How can I change? Don't just hear me. Be doers of the word. Don't just see David, hear David, hear about David, see about David, think about David. Don't have David pulled out of the pages of scripture without changing and being more like him. Who's going to sell out for the Lord like David? When David's out there with those sheep, he's composing poetry and singing praise to God and delighting in thunder. He was up close and personal to lightning and thunder. He saw the forest discovered at the blast of God's thunder and lightning, didn't he? Because he was out there in the forest with the sheep. His family hardly knew that he existed. They had to be confronted and questioned by Samuel. Oh yeah, there's one more. There's the little guy. David, he's out keeping sheep. Call him in. Samuel said, I'm not going to eat nor sit down until we've got them all here. 
And when he came in, the Lord said, this is the one, this is mine, this is my favorite, this is the one I like, this is the one I delight in. This one has a heart different from the others that just stood before you. Anoint him right now. And as soon as he was anointed, guess what God did? God came down from heaven and filled David and was with David for the rest of his life. And went and, and left King Saul. And David got to witness that transition. And so in Psalm 51, when David knew he was guilty of great sins before God, he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because he had seen it happen. What can I change? Let's get started. His heart. His heart. God chose David, youngest and despised of eight sons, to replace Saul because of his heart. No matter what Samuel thought about the brothers of David, and they were special in their own ways, God looks upon the heart of man. So the first thing we can talk about is he was a man after God's own heart because his heart was like God's. He delighted in the praise of God, the worship of God, the house of God, the words of God. When I say the words of God to you, where in the Bible are the words of God exalted? What book of the Bible are you going to turn to? Are you going to turn to Romans? Are you going to turn to Romans? Are you going to turn to Hebrews, my favorite book of the Bible? I want to remind you that I still do love the New Testament. What book of the Bible are you going to turn to? You've got to go to Psalms. You've got to go to Psalm 119, Psalm 19, Psalm 1. They're all in the book of Psalms. Chapter 1, chapter 19, and chapter 119. And all I'm doing is pointing out that the heart of David loved the words of God. He loved to think about the words of God at night during the day. Do you love them? Do you love the words of God? Right. And what God has said on every subject. Who said, I have esteemed all thy commandments, all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Who had that kind of a mentality? David did. David did. David did. We're told so much about that man. The heart of David. You can do those things in your heart. David's greatness began in his heart, which he had prepared in the fields with the sheep. Birth order. Birth order in your family. Outward looks. Popular esteem. Your job. Your family. Should not discourage anyone. Because look at David. He was eighth. But he was first. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Eliab was last. And David was first in God's way of looking at men. God sees the inside. He sees what we do inside. He weighs the thoughts and intents of our heart. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4, David said, I will behave myself in a perfect way when I am in my house. So what are you like on the inside? How much do you really love God? How much do you think about Him, His house, His people, His words, His glory, His power, His majesty? The things you heard this morning from Psalm 29, that's done in the heart. What are you thinking about in your heart? Your spouse? Your children? Your job? Your house? The politics of this nation? Are you kidding me? What do you think about in your heart? You can change right there to be like David because it was from the heart outward. And then what do you do in your house when you're away from people because then your heart really shows up? Because see, when you're here, you're unguarded behavior. You don't let your bitterness out. You don't let your critical, na- critical words out because you're here among us. But at home, you do. At home, you're lazy. At home, you're negative. At home, you're bitter. Why? David said, I'll behave myself in a perfect way in my house. Psalm 101. And so there's the heart of David exposed. What he thought about, what he delighted in. He just rejoiced in the glory of God. He loved thinking about the Lord. And the Lord's greatness in times past 
and in things promised and in his deliverances of him and in his power, in his nature, in his name. He's, he uses Jehovah in praising God. He uses Jah, a shortened version of Jehovah in praising God. He loved him as the father of the fatherless and the, the, the judge of widows. He loved everything there was about the Lord. And he thought on it. And when he was home, he lived like it. You say, well, what about Uriah the Hittite? Well, Jesus is going to say that to you. What about the 10,000 sins blacker than David's in your life? David understood he was forgiven. And when he prayed forgiveness, he did not say, I will grieve about this and have a pity party for the next two years to show you how sincere I am. He said, Lord, if you'll restore to me the joy of, the, of my salvation, I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted unto thee. He was ready to leap up from his knees and do something, not grieve about what he hadn't done. Right. He did not wallow in his sins and his sins were black and heinous and profane and multiplied and terrible and aggravated and grievous. But he went forward. That's, all, that's a little bit about the heart of David. You say, I want more about the heart of David. Punch in Heart of David under the little magnifying glass on our website, and it's a 10-page outline just about the heart of David. Zeal for God's house. Number two. Let's not number these because we'll get discouraged. Zeal for God's house. We had mentioned in a prayer in the back room this morning, Psalm 27 and verse 4. Look at it with me, please. Psalm 27 and verse 4. The house of God. It was a tabernacle. It was a tent in David's day. And he wanted to give God a permanent dwelling place and give him a temple. Solomon did. We have one here. The house of God is the local church. It's not just when we're here. It's made up of the living stones of the body. And we're a church and we're a temple when we're not here. Because we're united together by one spirit motivating the different parts, the stones, the body parts of this body. But we have a house. How much do you love it? What do you do for it? How do you serve it? What's your zeal in it? Some of you are just pew warmers. You don't do anything. There's no zeal. There's no passion. There's no service. There's no excitement. There's no encouragement. There's no pressing. David was always wanting to be pressing the people. David loved congregational worship. Let's get to that in a moment. Let's stay right with his house right now. Look at Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing. Remember what I said about his heart, his purpose, his programs, his cause? One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. Why did David want to go to church to network? No networking. Did David want to go to church to see his family and talk to his kids and talk to his grandkids? Did David want to go to church for any of that? Not one bit of it ever. Why did he want to go to church? To behold the beauty of the Lord. He wanted to see the character and nature of God and to delight in him and to inquire in his temple as to God's will for his life. Is that why you're here today? Amen. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple what God wants you to do. That's why David went to church. We're told that one thing. He had one cause, one purpose, one goal, one program, and that was to build up the house of God. And that will I seek after. If I have to work for it, I'm going to work for it. If I have to drive, I'm going to drive. If I have to get up early, I'm going to get up early. If I have to give up some money, I'm going to give up some money. Time, I'll give it up. 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This is my commitment for the rest of my life, David said. For the rest of my life. I'm not a short timer. I'm not going to be like one of those that wander in and wander out. I'm here for the long haul. I'm here forever. That was David. Do you know that I could multiply this statement over and over and over again in the book of Psalms? About God's, about David's love for the house of God. Let me just add this to you. While we're on this point, i got to hurry up. David loved exclusions. David loved exclusions and he loved body bags in the house of God. I want you to know that about David. Look at Psalm 101. Psalm 101. Oh, yes. Psalm 101. In verse 8, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Psalm 101, verse 8. Oh, yes, David, he wanted to keep the house of God pure. Look at Psalm 144, which has been a precious psalm to this church for the last 17 years or so. Psalm 144, verse 7. This is David. Send thine hand from above. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And he says it again. If you didn't get it the first time, he says it again in verse 11. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Those people that come in among us and say they love Jesus Christ, they believe our doctrine, they're committed to live their lives for Him, they'll help keep our congregation holy and pure, they want, they'll support this church, they will assemble with it, and then they don't do those things. That means that their, their words were vanity. They were lying. They're hypocrites. Their right hand was a right hand of falsehood. We give them the right hand of fellowship, and they're lying to us because their hearts aren't really with us. David said, rid me, come down from heaven, Lord, and rid me of these people and get these strange children out of here so that our church can be pure. And that purity is described in verses 12 through 15. And it concludes by saying, happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. This is David. While he was wanting to beautify the house of the Lord, worship in the house of the Lord, Praise God before much people. He wanted every hypocrite ripped out of that place. He wanted to make it as good as he could. He wasn't content with God in a tent. Now, 2 Samuel 7 is David sitting in his house, taking a big breath. He's finally defeated all of his enemies. Next thought. I had my deep breath. I want to build God a temple. He doesn't deserve to be in a tent. Now I want to tell you a little history. If you back up just a few verses into 2 Samuel 6, David moved the Ark of the Covenant from a house where it had stayed for 40 years under the profane rule of lazy Saul, and he brought it and put it where? In a new tabernacle that David had made for it. Oh, you're kidding. David had just made a new tabernacle for the Ark of the Covenant, yet he wanted to make him a temple? Yes. Because up close and personal, constructing a tent for God just wasn't right to David because David was sitting in a palace. David was sitting in a house made for a king, and you can go read about Hiram, king of Tyre, making a house and sending materials for David and Solomon. So David had just built a new tabernacle to replace the old worn-out one for the Lord, but that wasn't good enough. Never good enough! So the point being, the house of the Lord... 
is important. Zeal for God's house. What's your zeal for this church? Some of you have zeal for this church, but not all of you. So I'm preaching this today. And those of you that have zeal for this church, can you have more? Can I have more? Yes. Yes. Zeal for God's worship. Did he dance with all of his might before the Lord? Yes. Look, when you look back at 2 Samuel chapter 6, when David was going to move that Ark of the Covenant, whether it's the first time or the second time, what happened in between? He moved it the wrong way. The priest didn't stop him, and he built a new ox cart to move the Ark of the Covenant, and God rained on that parade. But he, moved, he tried to move it twice, and both times it was an all-out effort. It was beautiful efforts. Look at 2 Samuel 6, and this is the first effort to move it. Again, 2 Samuel 6, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. All the chosen men. He got together the best men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people, and so he's going to go bring the ark. That didn't work out that time, so he brought it again later. It's in the last sentence of verse 12. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. Verse 18, and as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed everyone to his house. There's David's zeal for God's worship. And when Michael criticized him when he got home, David knew how to handle his women. He put her in his place, in her place, and he did a masterful job of it. And he did a permanent job of it. And he told her the truth about her father's house being God forsaken and his being God blessed. And he told it to her face and he cut her off so that she never had a child. There was no one that could even vie for the throne of Israel from that woman. Because she had the gall, the profanity of King Saul to, quick, to question and to criticize and to disrespect the all-out worship of David in the streets before that Ark of the Covenant. Right. His zeal for God's worship was wonderful. 2 Samuel 23, you need not turn there. 2 Samuel 23, David's hiding in a cave with his men from Saul, from the Philistines, and while he's sitting there and they're reflecting on better times earlier in their lives, David said, oh, I wish I had a drink of water from that well in Bethlehem. Some of his favorite men snuck out of that room, out of that cave, and went through a garrison of Philistines that were at Bethlehem and drew him some water and brought it back to him and gave him water from the well at Bethlehem at the risk of their lives. That is loyalty. You want to talk, one of, the, one of the character traits of David is his effect upon others. Look at the loyalty of those men toward David. What did he do when he had that water? Did he throw that down and say, wow, that was good, and sling off the rest? He poured it out as a sacrifice to the Lord because that had been purchased with the blood of men because they had put their blood at risk, and he poured it out to the Lord. Everything that he could give to the Lord, and at that moment in a cave, the most special thing he had was water from Bethlehem, Obtained by men risking their lives, so he poured it out to the Lord. My point here is his zeal for worship. His zeal for worship. David loved to worship God any way that he could. And he did. Zeal for congregational worship. Look at Psalm 35 and verse 18. 
You know, there's a tendency in the human heart by those who don't like people and are too lazy to get out of their comfort zone and choose to like people to think that they can worship God at home alone, but they can't. God doesn't accept it. He wants you to worship congregationally. He's chosen congregational worship. You know, if you're doing your worship congregationally like you should, then he'll accept your worship at home. If you try to substitute worship at home for worship congregationally, he won't accept it. That isn't his way of worship. He's chosen to be worshiped congregationally. And your way is right and perfect, just and holy. Even though I'd rather be at home worshiping him in private. And I just tell you that to share that I've got the same spirit inside. But I want you to see this. David understood the difference. Psalm 35 and verse 18. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. David was going to use his opportunities in public before much people to praise God. Because what good do you do when you're just praising him in private? It's only, a one, it's only between two parties, God and you. But when you do it in public, look, it tells us in one, page, one chapter back, it tells us in chapter 34 the effect that it has on others. Verse 1, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Notice, he isn't boasting in the Lord at home in bed. You, David, David did a lot of communing with God in bed. David did a lot of communing with his own spirit in bed. I have shared with you that that is one of my favorite places and times with the Lord. It was again last night. It is most nights. But it's doing it in front of others that yields much greater benefits. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. The humble that love the Lord and just may not know how to express it as well, David gave them the lips and the creativity verbally. Isn't that why we like the Psalms? Amen. David gives us the creative verbosity of beautiful words, praising God. So verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. That's congregational worship. And let us exalt His name together. Look at Psalm 122. Psalm 122. We've covered David's heart. That's what God looks at first and most. David's zeal for God's house. David's zeal for God's worship. And David's zeal for congregational worship. Remember Psalm 122 and the emphasis in congregational here? Verse 1, I was glad when they, plural people, said to David, let us, plural, Go into the house of the Lord. Our feet, verse 2, and so on and so forth. We are compacted together, verse 3. Where the tribes go up, verse 4. Verse 8, for my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace be within thee. Notice his interest and concern for, the con for congregational worship. Some of you love to serve the congregation. I know about your service. The Lord knows about your service. I want everyone serving the congregation. That's why I was unhappy and grieved, disappointed and discouraged. Earlier this week, and the Lord came to me with this man. And for those of you that are like this man, you are a great joy to my heart, and the Lord knows that. And I just want more of us to be that way. Look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42. There's no book like this that we can turn and read the heart of any other man in the Bible. You know, was Joseph a prince? Have I preached to you about Joseph? Was the character of Joseph great? Yes, because there's hardly anything recorded about him, even though it took 10 or 15 chapters of the Bible. You don't know that much about Joseph. 
You don't know about his sins. You don't know about his confession. You don't know about his repentance. You don't know about his conscience. You don't know about his praise. You don't know about his thanksgiving. You know he loved his dad. So did David. How did David prove his love for his mom and his dad? When his family was being chased by King Saul, he set them up with the king of Moab. We'll get to it. He knew how to honor his parents. Psalm 42, verse 4. Well, let's get verse 3 so you can understand the tears. My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. I love the Lord's day. I love the Lord's feasts. I love the Lord's celebrations. I loved gathering together with everyone for a holiday. And a holiday in the Bible was one of the three feasts every year where they came together into one place and worshiped for a whole week. I loved it. Okay, do you understand that? Congregational worship. You can't be content with your little time at home. That isn't how God's chosen to be worshipped. He wants us gathered together here. Every part and every joint contributing to the building up of this temple to a glorious edifice to the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to do. And it's not these walls. The building committee and what they're doing has nothing to do with building the temple of God except by the way they get along with each other and end this project, all loving each other and at peace with each other. If they're able to do that, then they have built the temple of the Lord. And that's a bigger project than spending money and having something built for us. But listen, we want to build this church up because it's congregational worship that pleases God. He has chosen it. We submit to it. Let's make it great. He had extraordinary love for God. The Bible tells us he delighted in God. He's the one that told us about that. That was a favorite verse of mine for a long time. Psalm 37 and verse 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord. You're not very far from it since we're in the book of Psalms and we were at 42. If you turn back a couple pages to Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight thyself also. Why does it say also? Because it says in verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 4, there's something better than just bare faith. And that's to delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. How much do you think David cared about getting the desires of his heart compared to the first half of that verse about delighting in the Lord? What do you delight in? What do you delight in? I delight in my children. I delight in my children coming home with a good report card. Oh, I don't even know how to deal with that. What do you delight in? Let's delight in the Lord. Like Matthew showed us how to delight in the Lord with thunder and lightning. You can delight in the Lord with flowers. My wife had quite an exchange with the Lord over the last 12 hours because the Lord was watering her flower garden. And she was thanking him for every every difference in texture, every difference in color, every difference in size, every difference that God made. And there are a lot of differences in flowers. Did you watch all the foliage turn green while the rain was coming down? I, I think I saw it. I think I saw it turning brighter and brighter green while the rain was coming down this morning. It's beautiful. Do you delight in the Lord? What do you tell Him? Do you delight in Him? 
Lord, you're magnificent. You, I don't like sharing. You know, the, recently, to sit out on the deck with the sun coming up and to look at that thing and just tell them, that is magnificent. Yes, you have a crazy pastor. <laughs> Lord, that's magnificent. That is, that is so powerful and warming me and exhilarating to me, just like you said in Psalm 19, I cannot imagine what your son is going to be like when we see him. That's the exchange that we had. And it was just delighting in the Lord. I know that some of you delight in the Lord. I want to encourage you to do it more. I'm trying to encourage me right now to do it more. I can do it more. I get distracted. I get diverted. I get discouraged. But let's just keep on delighting in the Lord. His extraordinary love of God caused him to dream up a temple. No one else had suggested it. God came back to David and said, who gave you that idea? I never suggested a temple. I never complained about my tent. Do you understand that he went beyond the Lord? He went beyond duty? He went beyond the bare minimum? He went beyond saving himself from being excluded? Some of you, I think, show up because you don't want to get excluded. I don't know why else you show up, because you don't do anything. Where's your delight in the Lord? Your excitement in Him. No one on earth is, nothing on earth is going to ever excite your soul like the Lord can. Everyone else is going to disappoint you. Everything else is going to disappoint you. Everything's going to rust, and steels are going to take it, and the government's going to tax it. Everyone else doesn't really care about you. There's no one like the Lord. He'll never disappoint you. And he is, a, he is an exciting being to glory in and to delight in to think about, to think about his nature, to think about his works, to think about his words, to think about his law, to think about his worldview, to think about the way he treats his enemies, to the way, the way he, think, he treats his sons. Everything about him is infinitely phenomenal. And David loved him for that. Read the Psalms, and you'll see the love of David coming out all the time. How can I change this aspect of my life to be more like David for the delight of God and men? Do I have the heart of David, the zeal for his house, the zeal for his worship, the zeal for congregational worship, his extraordinary love of God? A couple more will break. Retirement years. When God had given him victory over all his enemies, what should a king do? Camp David, Hawaii, Mar-a-Lago, Florida, right? Well, you defeated all your enemies. Every nation that, that bounded on Israel was paying them tribute. From the Euphrates River in Iraq to the Nile River in Egypt, they were paying tribute to David. What should he have done? Golfed? B-ball? Could be baseball. What, what should he have done? What did he do? He wanted to build the temple. What were, what were his dying statements in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29? His final words, what was he talking about? As he would pull the oxygen hose away. Princes, my son Solomon is young and tender. You make sure that this house is a palace for God and not for man. You make sure 
that this is exceeding magnificent. I have gathered with all my might to build this house. And his giving so stirred up all the other princes of Israel that they gathered a sum described in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29 that exceeds any sum found elsewhere in the Bible for any cause at any time by anyone. It was just incredible. And he pulls it away and he says, Solomon, my son, you fear thou the God of thy father and you obey him and keep his commandments. He'll establish your throne forever. But if you break his commandments, he will tear you down. His retirement years. All about the Lord. When you have retirement years, you've got more time. You say, well, I don't have as much energy. But you can still do things for the Lord. Right. You can still do things for the Lord. Up to the day of his death, he was occupied with gathering material for the temple to be special. How can we think that we deserve to take it easy when we can serve the Lord more? Because if we have a cause, the cause, and if our purpose is that cause, and our programs are all directed toward one thing, we should be able to sneak around and do some things in our retirement years. For the Lord, like David did. His greatest project was at the end of his life. And he did it in wonderful form. Mercy toward his enemies. 1 Samuel chapter 1. This will be the last one before our break. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. I don't have time to read it, but I'll just remind you that it's here. Mercy toward enemies. Did the son of David say, love your enemies? Did the father of David understand what the son of David was going to teach? Mm -hmm. Yes. When the son of David said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, did the father of the son of David already know that lesson? Of course, I, I wish that I took, I, maybe I will, maybe we need a table of the character trait of David fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Because it's all there. Love your enemies. Did David love his enemies? Unlike anyone else, you can read about in the Old Testament. Kings are not known for loving their enemies when those enemies are predecessors. When those enemies are captains and generals of armies that pursued and fought against them. They tend to want to get rid of them, but not David. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 through 27 is David's eulogy of Saul. Now Saul had chased David and tried to kill him about 15 years. Saul had lied to him, misrepresented, pretended daughters, asked for dowries that would get David killed. On and on the bad story goes. Saul went, spent the last night of his life with the witch of Endor. Saul profaned the word of God, the house of God. He didn't care about it. He didn't move the Ark of the Covenant. Saul had so many problems, but here comes David. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Verse 19, the beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? This is David eulogizing Saul. Tell it not in Gath, a city of the Philistines. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, another city of the Philistines. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, Saul's home country, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul 
as though it had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. Do you love your enemies? I remember the last time I went off on this church about this particular passage on a Wednesday night. The next morning I was talking to a sister in this congregation and I heard about an event taking place that allowed me to put this into practice. And I want to encourage all of you, David practiced love your enemies. He ordered Shimei to be protected. When Shimei cursed him, as he was fleeing from Absalom in the city of Jerusalem, he protected the life of Shimei, though his nephew said, let us go over and take the dead dog's head off. Now, if someone was cursing you, and you had a mighty nephew at your side, let me go over and take the dead dog's head off, what would you do? I'll give you a thousand bucks. That's what you would do. But he didn't. He protected Shimei. Don't worry. He took care of Shimei in his will. Because David was a wise man. We've got to get to that, though. And this isn't wisdom. This is loving your enemies. Did he forgive Abner? You know who Abner was? Abner was the captain of the host of Saul's armies. Abner had chased him for 15 years. He made a covenant with Abner immediately. When, the, when Saul died and he had his chance with Abner, he made a covenant with him. How about Amasa, general of the armies under Absalom, against David? Forgave him. Forgave Abner and forgave Amasa and we're going to put them in his own government. Two generals against him, contrary to the usual action. You that enjoy bitterness and revenge, there is nothing in you even close to David. Right. Nothing in you. It's not righteousness, it's self-righteousness. It's not justice, it's vengeance. David was different. We want to be like David, so we want to be merciful. We want to forgive everyone that we can. We want to forgive anyone that we can. We want to look for opportunities to forgive. Forgive them. Look at Stephen. Look at Jesus. Look at David. Look at Psalm 35. Now, let's not go there. That's going to be under love of enemies. Let's not go there right now. Mercy toward his enemies. He resented the hardness of his relatives. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 3. Who killed Abner? The captain of Saul's armies. Who killed him? David's nephew Joab. Who killed Amasa? The general of Absalom's armies. His nephew Joab. Who killed Absalom against David's wishes? Joab. Joab killed three men whose names began with the letter A. There's a sermon on our website entitled, David or Joab, Who Do You Want to Be Like? This is one of the statements in Scripture that we want to remember. This is the funeral for Abner. Verse 33, and the king lamented over Abner. He's lamenting. He never even had a day in his service. He had just forgiven him and Joab killed him out of envy and jealousy and because of a dead brother. The king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. He's leading the nation in all weeping over Abner. And it describes this funeral. When all the people came to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day. 
David swear, this is verse 35, so do God to me and more also if I taste bread or aught else till the sun be down. This is a day for fasting for the death of Abner. And all the people took note of it, and it pleased them. Keep reading with me. We're learning about David. As whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it was none of the king to slay Abner the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. Who is Zeruiah? David's sister. Zeruiah is David's sister. David's sister had three sons, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. They were three generals in his army and at the top of his army. But Joab killed Abner against David's word. And the, the spirit of those sons of Zeruiah was very intense. They protected David for the 40 years of his life. They fought, they risked their lives in battle. They were his generals and his commanders. They were, the three, they were three mighties among his 37 chosen men, but they were too hard for David because David had a different kind of a spirit. We want that different kind of a spirit in each of us. Right. When we have a chance to forgive enemies, we want to forgive them right then. And we want to forgive them 100%. Right then. Some of you don't know how to forgive because it's not in your family genes. We don't care about family genes. We're in the family of God. And God's forgiven us and we were his enemies. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. We can do it. David did it. David gave us a great example. I hope that we'll get better and better at doing that. And let there be no spirits of the sons of Zeruiah in our church. Let us have the spirit of David and mourn and not eat and fast and praise a man that had been his enemy for 15 years. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.